This is Packer and Durham on ACCN and Sirius XM Channel 371. North Carolina survives a scare against Notre Dame. That's the right word for it, right. survived. 14-13, BC continues to roll. And again, two of the great scores in the history of the sport. Jamie Ortega does not score in the game against uh, Notre Dame, and yet North Carolina wins. And, and Charlotte North kind of quiet for her standard, but BC still figures out a way to beat Virginia. Couple goals for Charlotte North. Two goals for a lot of players is a great day at the office, maybe even a career day. For Charlotte North, it is a quiet day by her standards, but BC's loaded. They got six from Cassidy Weeks, a career high. They got nine points, six assists from Bell Smith, our girl who was on here last time. Yeah. Um, BC and UNC, as it should be. As a, as much as it pains me to say as a Syracuse alum, this is the matchup we deserve. North Carolina, I think, has been 11 of the last 12 ACC championship games. BC's been in three of the last four. They're looking for their first, even though they won the national championship a year ago. North Carolina, 17-0. and They've won 17 consecutive ACC tournament games. Something's got to give. Should be a great crowd. Hopefully the weather's good. It's supposed to be in the upper 80s all week, mm. at least here in Carolina. So hopefully the weather's great. All of that action, Saturday night, right here. On ACC Network, it starts at 6 p.m. Of course, we'll do all the post game and all that stuff. But number one versus number two in the country doesn't get any better than that. Jay Alter, Dana Boyle, she and Stan McBurch on the call for that one. By the way, real fun. quick before we get to football, uh, Dana Boyle, yeah, on this show, you were here last week, right? Uh-huh. Did your apology? You were losing the bet. Then you kind of backtrack at the end of the show and, and felt like no remorse at all. Zero. Zero, right? Yeah. So Dana comes on the show on Friday. Uh, and we and I said, hey, did you see your man take care of business, Drew Carter? And she goes, yeah, I saw. But she also saw the end. And so you're gonna have to work that out with her. <laughs> I, I don't know what I don't know where that's going. And she started taking like a shot. I mean, Pack, I'm not sure we could be friends. I, hey, I got nothing to do with it. I'm just the messenger the bystander here. here. Yeah. No comment. I, I'm gonna pull a Louisville basketball player last year. I don't have a comment for that. I paid my bet. I do have a comment for that. I paid my bet off. I said, Bodo's is great. Best bagel you'll find on the Eastern Seaboard. Whatever. Complete lie. <laughs> I lost a bet. Had to say it. And when Jeff Connor came on, when El Jefe, after seven points at the Carrier Dome, which, so I was already angry, I had to be honest with him. I had to shoot it straight. I mean, that's what we give you here on Packer and Durham. I promise you one thing, viewers and listeners. We'll shoot it to you straight. And I'm telling you, Bodo's bagels, good cream cheese, Good coffee, efficient operation. The bagel itself, subpar. All right. Dana Boyle, tag, you're it. I got nothing to do. <laughs> Keep me out of it. I'm just a, I'm just the messenger here. All right, uh, football. Uh, 21 ACC players in the NFL draft. That number seems low, and it is low. Uh, but to me, watching it Thursday, Friday, Saturday, uh, it was just kind of a reinforcement of what is coming back in the league. This conference is loaded with talent for 22. Between the great quarterback play, the amount of production returning, and we're going to give you some numbers, I think you can kind of see this coming. It should be a prime year for ACC football this upcoming fall. No doubt, Pac. I mean, I know it is hope season in the spring. Everyone in the country is undefeated, and every fan base thinks they're going to make the playoff. But in the ACC, I think there's legitimate reason for hope for 11, 12 programs this year that they can contend for an ACC championship. I really do. I, you know, you talked about the Atlantic, how loaded it is. Wake Forest fans, I know they're the Swiss. They don't get angry that often, but they've got to feel a little disrespected coming into this year with all the Clemson and NC State fanfare, both maybe top 10 in the country and some way too early preseason polls. 
Wake Forest should feel a little disrespected. Um, they've got a bunch of guys coming back, as as do a lot of teams in the ACC. It should be a fun year. From an offensive standpoint, let's just throw some numbers on there. Again, you know about the quarterback play in this league. It's loaded, right? There's, I don't think there's another conference in the country that's even close with the quality list of competition at quarterback than you're going to get here in the ACC. But just look at the offensive numbers. Nine of the 14 teams in the league are going to return 70% of their offensive production. That is a big number. That's a crackling number. If you're Jim Phillips, you got to be looking at this graphic. I know the commission is watching right now. You got to be thinking this is going to be fun this year. And this is what I'm talking about with all the contenders. I mean, NC State is on the right side of your screen. Miami's on the right side of your screen. Boston College, but these are programs with a lot of hope. Virginia Tech and Brent Pry's first year. You guys should be really excited about the direction your program is heading. And even some of the lower numbers, like NC State's a great example. They're on the bottom half here. But part of that 63% is Devin Leary, That's right. who, who might be the best quarterback in the country coming back this year. So, so much reason for optimism. And again, I know it's May 2nd, so everyone is optimistic. But in the ACC, the hope is legit. Yeah, I don't think there's any question about that. And it's not just the offensive side we're going to beat the drum on. There's nine, again, nine of the 14, 70% or higher. You go to the defensive side. And mm-hmm. To me, that's where that old adage wins championships. I still believe that's Casey. I know it's an offensive game now. But eight of the 14 teams in the ACC, from a defensive perspective, returned 68% of their production or higher. And I'll point out that one of those teams is not Clemson, who I think is going to have arguably as good a defense as there is in the country. I think they've got the best defensive line. I think their linebackers will be better, even though they lost all of them. And they're at the 50% mark. But yet, there's still eight teams at 68% or higher. Defensively, the league should be really good. Really good. And, sir, I'll do the same thing I did with the offense to give you an example of where even these numbers can be misleading. Syracuse, let me get the pom-poms out for a second. They are an old-school defense built around linebackers. Yep. Those three guys are back, Thompson, Wax, and Jones, all of whom might play in the NFL one day. They're back. So even though Syracuse is on the right side of your screen right now, they're bringing back the core of that defense, which was really good last year. Syracuse is a complete 180 from when the Dino Babers era started, where they were built on offense, and it was Orange is the new fast. Orange is the new slow, grind you out, play old-school football, three yards in a cloud of dust. Really, with Sean Tucker, it's more like 30 yards in a cloud of dust. But Syracuse is a perfect example of what we're talking about. Yeah, the last few years have been a bit of a struggle, but they have so much reason for optimism, thanks in large part to what they have coming back. Uh, and I also said earlier today, uh, and I, listen, I enjoy the NFL draft, and congratulations to all 262 that were selected. And then, of course, you got the undrafted free agents that have all signed and doing their thing. They're chasing their dream. Man, go get it. Make a ton of money. Have a great career. Wish you the best. Uh, but when you see the number for 21 for the ACC, which, like I said, is a low number, uh, my spin on this was, well, yeah, I'm not surprised. I mean, it was the lowest of the Power 5 numbers, but just look at what's still in the league. It'd be one thing, hey, there's only 21 drafted. I mean, all your stars have left. It's the exact opposite for our conference. I mean, the league is loaded as far as 22 goes, and sometimes the numbers can be deceiving. I mean, you look at the, the NFL draft, and you see a team like Penn State. Penn State put more players in the NFL draft than any other team in the Big Ten. Penn State's a 500 team the last two years. Don't give you a trophy for that. I mean, so so what does that mean? So you can make the numbers do whatever you want. 
from that standpoint. And again, if you're a fan of a respective team, you're going to spin it however you want. But Penn State's put eight guys in this year's draft. They were 500 last year. They've been 500 the last two years. They put 14 guys in the NFL draft, and yet you're 500 in your league. A team like LSU, great talent, great tradition, great history. Hey, they've put 17 guys in the draft the last two years, 10 in the draft over the weekend. They were sub-500 last year. They're sub-500 the last two years since uh, winning the national championship. So what does that tell you? I mean, you still got to get players. You still got to develop them. You hope they go on to the next level. And if you're a coach, man, you use that as, hey, look what we're doing in developing our guys. But you do have to win games. So sometimes the numbers can be deceiving. And, of course, you brought up what happened to the good folks in Austin, Texas. Zero. University of Texas. Goose egg for the Longhorns. Not a single player. I mean, we're talking about Texas football. So, you know, the numbers are the numbers, right? And so from an ACC perspective, you look at the number 21, which is what the number was for the draft. I wouldn't fret with that. I'd just go, okay, great. 22 should be an awesome year. And I think it will be. A couple things on that. Let me give a shout out to my Minnesota Vikings who did their part drafting a couple of ACC guys. Finally. Got to finally got to Andrew Booth after your man Ed Marinero was just forever yeah. and ever doing his own docuseries. <laughs> well, Pac, you congratulated the 262 draftees. I'd like to congratulate Ed Marinero on being the real star of the show. That's oh. why we all tuned in, was I, to see Ed Marinero. I wanted to, but I fell asleep, woke up, and he was still talking. <laughs> Talking about Blue Mountain State. God. Well, one of those guys was who Ed Marinero finally announced, Andrew Booth. I texted our man Eric McLean, who resided in the West Durham suite last week after right. I did. And I said, what do we think about Andrew Booth? And he said, steal of the draft, top 10 talent. And he's coming to Minnesota. Well, he's a big time player. There's no doubt. And there were some surprises. We mentioned Justin Ross. Can't believe yeah. he wasn't drafted. We were surprised that Sam Howell dropped to the fifth round. Right. Uh, but you know, I know the folks here in my backyard of Charlotte were excited about Big Icky coming into town. I thought it was a good pick. Perfect fit. Someone said they've had six different left tackles in six seasons. That's over. That's a problem. But But, uh, they got the pancake machine now. And he's allowed to come in here and have pancakes with us. And by the way, the voice of the Carolina Panthers is co-hosting tomorrow. We we switched from the voice of the Falcons to the voice of the Carolina Panthers tomorrow with Anish Roth. Yeah, you went from voice of Falcons West, voice of no one, me, to the voice of the Panthers. And Welcome by the to way, the Hall of Fameless Club. I mean, <laughs> take a great deal of pride in that. Um, Icky, still fly into RDU. Don't fly into Charlotte. The atrium's overrated. Fly into RDU, the best airport in America. Oh, you heard that. Now, there's a, there's a shout-out right there. Mm-hmm. You won't get that on any other show. Uh, <laughs> quick break. We'll take more phone calls, too, by the way. 844-SAY-ACCN. That's 844-SAY-ACCN. I think the biggest story of the weekend, Jordan Addison. Is he coming? Is he going? What's going on? Tampering? Who knows? It's a crazy story, and we'll address it coming up next. Drew, filling in for Wes. It's Packer and Durham on ACC Network. The Packer and Durham Podcast. This is the Packer and Durham Podcast. We had a good weekend. Again, the numbers 844-SAY-ACCN. Drew Carter, Mark Packer, Cast of Thousands. You know how we operate. Uh, Jordan Addison was the big story of the weekend. Now, student athletes had till midnight last night to basically put their name in the hat to say in or out for the transfer portal. So we're still waiting for the official word. Word has it, that regardless if they're in, out, whatever, the school then has basically a couple business days to officially put together all the paperwork to make it unnecessary. So it may be till Tuesday. 
mm-hmm. till we hear one way or the other with Jordan Addison of whether he's in the portal or he's not. It's important to know that before you go on some kind of rant. It's always good to have the facts, right? That's right. how that works. But there's still all kinds of speculation about whether or not, number one, he's going or not. And number two, the amount of dollars that have apparently been offered from a name, image, and likeness standpoint by USC. I've read anything from you know, high fives to $3 million in a house. I mean, so I don't know what that number really is, but it's going to be significant if he's thinking about making any kind of change. Right. And I think that's a good point, Pac. He's not gone. He is not in the portal yet. We don't know. But what you just said about the transfer portal, I mean, why make it clear cut and simple when you can make it incredibly convoluted? This is college sports after all. So we're not going to know about Jordan Addison potentially being in the portal or not, but Folks are already fired up and miffed about this. Jordan Addison, best wide receiver in the country last year, Bolitnikoff Award winner. Uh, potential reasons to leave Pittsburgh. Offensive coordinator Mark Whipple is gone. Obviously, Kenny Pickett is gone, being drafted by the Steelers in the first round. Is he going to be as productive as he was last year? Probably not. That being said, he made a commitment to the university. And if there's tampering happening from USC, that's not okay, at least in our opinion. But according to the NCAA, I mean, they don't need any rules and regulations. So go ahead. Well, my, my issue is this. If it turns out that uh, Jordan Addison has put his name in the portal, all right, and that becomes common knowledge, he can do whatever he wants. I mean, because the NCAA has not put up any kind of restrictions and rules. And if Southern California or Roast Beef A&M wants to pay the guy millions of dollars, hey, I'm all for it, man. Go get your money if you're in the portal. If you're not in the portal, this is nonsense. You can't have coaches, whether it be Pat Narduzzi or anybody else, constantly peeking over your shoulder to make sure that, hey, me and my staff have done a great job. We've accumulated these 85 guys on scholarship. We're happy with the work that we're done, whether the guy's a walk-up, walk-up, and whether he's a two-star, whether he's a five-star, whatever. We're going to develop them to the best that they can possibly be. But I can't keep wasting time having to go back and make sure, hey, these are my guys and I'm not getting stabbed in the back by some other coach. And Pat Narduzzi apparently has called Lincoln Raleigh and kind of gave him the riot act to say, what in the world's going on here? So that is not healthy for the sport. That's not good for anybody. Now, I said earlier today, you want to straighten all this out? Here's the deal. I'm, all, I'm a pro NIL guy. I'm all for all these student athletes, male, female, whether it's water polo, whether it's, NFL, whether it's college football or anything in between. If you can go get paid and somebody's going to give you the cash, go for it. i got no problem with it. If you want to transfer, you're not happy for whatever reason, whether it be I don't want to compete or, hey, I do have some issues, I need to get home, whatever, whether it be legit or an excuse, I'm all for that too. You want to get up and go, go. But there has to be some kind of rule and regulation. I think you got to go back old school and say, listen, if you transfer, you got to sit out a year. Now, it doesn't mean that you can't. You can get up and move, but you're going to have to sit out a year. doesn't mean that the school X that you're going to uh, they still want to give you, you know, seven figures. They still want to give you $25 free hamburgers. I don't care what they give you. You could still have the right to do that. But there needs to be some kind of assessment that if you make a decision, you want to be act, you want to be treated like an adult, here's how it works. You make decisions, you're held responsible. You're held accountable. And I thought one of our earlier callers, I think it was Warren in Winston-Salem, talked about transfer windows. Absolutely needs to be in place. This needs to be a win-win for the student athlete and the coach and the school. I think you can have name, image, and likeness. I think you can have the transfer portal, but coaches have to be able to have an opinion to say, listen, here's how I put together my roster. 
here are certain periods that, hey, some kids can get up and leave. You can go wherever you want, but you're going to have to sit out. But if you want to get paid a gazillion dollars, man, go for it. I think you can have all that, but you're not going to have any of that, Drew, unless you have some people finally taking some leadership and having some vision and going, hey, listen, you can talk all you want about whether it be Dabo or Saban or Ryan Day, the guys that are real true movers and shakers in college football. You can give me all the cool sound bites, but at some point in time, since the NCAA seems incapable of making a decision on a dime, somebody needs to take ownership and say, listen, if we don't do something ASAP, we're at the crossroad in college football. We got to straighten this out. And it doesn't need to be a wall which totally restricts players from being able to get up and move. No, you can have a win-win proposition for everybody where student athletes get paid, they can get up and move, and coaches can coach and develop without having to worry about spending so much time worrying about tampering or another coach stabbing them in the back. It's ridiculous. I'm with you, Pac. I mean, if you're married, you can't be going on blind dates, right? Well, you can. You can. But, but there's repercussions. Exactly. There's, there have to be repercussions for making bad decisions. Right. That's life. I mean, we all try to get, do the right thing. Sometimes, you know what? You make a decision, it's the wrong thing to do. And you realize, hey, you know what? If I'm smart, I never do that again. Or, hey, I learned through experience that, you know what? Sometimes I got to toughen things out. I got to be more patient. I don't get what I really want originally. You know what? I don't just quit and walk and walk and, and say, I'm going over here now. Well, you can, but if you do, there needs to be a repercussion for that. Doesn't mean you can't get up and leave. Go ahead. Doesn't mean you can't get paid a ridiculous sum of money. Go ahead. But maybe sitting out a year is something that could kind of stop the nonsense from a tampering perspective and student athletes becoming a little bit more educated in their decision, knowing that, hey, I can get up and leave. But just like the NCAA gave you all that data, 70% in all sports that get up and leave, there's not a home for you. Understand that your decision has consequences. My buddy told me a great story about when he played college football in the late 90s, early 2000s for an old school coach. And this guy, in his first year, doing two-a-days, maybe three-a-days, because this was back when you could do that. In Since the, dirt. In, uh, <laughs> since dirt. In August, as a freshman, he decided he couldn't do it. Didn't, didn't want to do it, couldn't take it. It was too much work, wasn't worth it. Got on a bus to head home. And the coach, this was a small college town, coach knew all the cops, everyone. Coach pulls over the bus. I don't know how he did. I don't know if he cut, up, cut off the bus or if he was in a police car and turned the flashers on. Woo! Pulls the bus over and gets on the bus and says, you are not leaving. You're coming with me. Takes him back to campus and he stays with the program. And I think about that and I think, first of all, that would never happen today because kids just basically do whatever they want. Now, not to sound like a get-off-the-line kind of guy, but they'd be on a flight, first of all. Um, that would never happen today. And I think the majority of people wouldn't support that happening today because player empowerment is the best thing since sliced bread. And, Pac, I'm with you. Guys should be able to move on and make money if they want to. But let's be real. When you're in college... Sometimes you don't always make the best decision. Sometimes your impulse is not the best decision. I might have left Syracuse and gone home to Minnesota, and then I wouldn't be sitting here with you, right? I mean, it, it was hard at the start. I think it's hard for a lot of guys at the start, especially if you are a four, four or five-star recruit and you're not really playing at the start. So guys should be able to transfer, but there, you're right. There needs to be 
a little bit of a repercussion to say, hey, are you sure this is what you want? And if you really want it, go ahead and do it. But you have to sit out of here. Well, I go back to the quote from Dabo Sweeney. And there were a lot of people in the national media that took shots at Dabo last month when he said this. But he said, right now, it is chaos. He said, tampering galore, adults manipulating young men, education is the last thing right now. I go back to that stat from the NCAA that since August of 19 to July 21, 70% of the student athletes that have jumped in the portal have no aid. They have no place to go. 70% of all sports. So when somebody whispers in your ear, hey, man, coach has got it out for you, or hey, you know what, they're not giving you a fair break, or hey, you know what, you need to get out of here. Whatever the reason or excuse might be, understand getting up and heading to another place maybe not necessarily the greatest move. Now, all of a sudden, you have no scholarship, no free education, and forget about competing in another sport. Now, where are you? Serving fries, third shift? I mean, that's a problem. So you've got to be smart if you're a student athlete. I'm all for all the power and control. I think it's great, incredible opportunity. But the, the NCAA, which I have no faith in being able to, to move on a dime, but there's going to have to be some, some leadership of the real movers and shakers in sports to go, hey, We've got to take control before this thing gets so out of whack that we don't even recognize what college football looks like. And we all love it. We all love it. But in a, just thinking that July the 1st of last year, NIL was introduced to everybody. Here we are basically 10 months later, and we've got stories like what Isaiah Wong went through last week with renegotiating and am I going to use a, some kind of collective bargaining? And we're like, what are we doing? Do you love where you go? Do you love to play? Do you get paid? Do you get an education? Maximize it. But this is getting to be stupid. Stupid where we are. Yeah, and maybe the vacuum of leadership from the NCAA pack is what is the impetus for what Jack Swarbrick was talking about last week with the separation of D1. Maybe the alliance gets together. Maybe Greg Sankey and Jim Phillips and all the Power 5 conferences get together and say, hey, if we're going to have guys transferring from Power 5 to Power 5, we need to reinstate the one-year sit-out policy. And then when they make that rule and they realize they can do it without without the NCAA, which they obviously already know because the college football playoff is not an NCAA event in the first place, they say, what are we doing with these guys? Let's move on and, and do our own thing and make our own rules that actually make sense and have a, some regulation as opposed to kicking it over to Capitol Hill and saying, hey, you guys figure it out. It's not going to happen. Yeah, that's That cannot be a solution. That solution cannot be, hey, we can't figure it out, so we'll let Congress worry about it. That I don't like the sound of that from the get-go. Uh, Tendo Moreno is going to join us coming up here in about uh, three or four minutes. I'm going to take one quick call if I can. I think Philip in Virginia has been holding patiently. Philip, good morning. How are you? Good morning, guys. I love your show. Watch, I've retired now, and I just love your show. Uh, Thank you. You talk about uh, the seventy percent of these guys that uh, are not getting getting an f- education. Well, I would agree with the guy that called in about the transfer window. But let's take that a step further and say that this transfer window stays open, say sixty days. If you don't, if you're not hooked up with a school or don't have a scholarship to another school, then you're you're able to back out of this transfer window or or go back to your own school. My second thought on that would be, would there be would there be an idea of these schools getting together and having like a salary cap where they can't pay but so much money to these players? Would that stop? Would that stop the transfer to a certain degree? 
first of all, Philip, I appreciate the phone call. Uh, the second part of that, I, I don't think you can put a cap on it. I mean, if there's some corporation, some booster, uh, and he's a multi-billionaire, and he says, hey, you know what? I'm going to give all my guys $2 million. He's got every right to do it. It's America. It's why we live in the greatest country in the world. It's capitalism at its ultimate finest. And again, I have no problem if somebody wants to write that kind of check. If you're dumb enough to write it, I'd be dumb enough to accept it. So the way I look at it. So I don't think you can put a cap on that at all. Uh, the first part of your question, though, about the ability to come back to school, I, I do think you got to put the onus on the, the student athletes that, hey, if you want to leave, understand what it means. Right. Here are the numbers from the NCAA. You know, this when you walk out the door, there may not be an opportunity for you to go back because a coach has to be able to put together his or her roster. If you're not a part of what we're doing, you want to walk off you go. I'm not going to force you to stay here, but I got to go put together my roster. That's my only issue that if you go, you got to go. So you better really have your ducks in a row and figure out this is the right thing to do. Even if there's a window? Even if there's a window. Say by April, you have to be out of the portal? I just think coaches have to be able to do their job. And if student athletes want to be able to conduct their business and make money and go to a school where they're comfortable, they have to understand if I walk, I walk. That's the risk you take. Nothing's easy in life, man. How Nothing. about how about just in this show? Th this is really easy. It's tough work for Chester, though. He's passed out. Exactly. He's exhausted. He's ready for Taylor Moreno. And you know what? She's ready for us because she joins us next. It is going to be some kind of game coming up on Saturday for the ACC Championship. The number one team in the country, North Carolina. The number two team in the country is BC. It'll be on ACC Network Saturday night. We'll talk to Taylor Moreno next on Packer and Durham. Packer and Durham. Here's Mark Packer and Wes Durham. Get ready. Big deal coming up Saturday night in Chapel Hill. I mean, a big deal. ACC Women's Lacrosse Championship game Saturday. It's right here on ACC Network. Big time. This number, is me buckling my seat. That's exactly here. right. Number like one a, against number two. It is going to be big time. North Carolina host Boston College. That's the format this year. Higher seat gets the host. We saw this game once early in the season. It was out of sight. But, uh, again, it will be tremendous. Coverage will begin at 6 p.m. Eastern time coming up this weekend right here on ACC Network. All right, let's bring on Taylor Moreno. In goal for the Heels. They remain undefeated, but it was not easy yesterday. Taylor, first of all, always a pleasure having you on the show. Good morning and congratulations. That was some kind of game yesterday. Uh, thank you guys so much for having me. And, uh, yeah, it definitely was. So five nothing. You're sitting around going, "Hey, this is not what was in the script." I mean, uh, but what what felt different in terms of, "Hey, take a deep breath. We're still in North Carolina. Let's go play." But take us through it. You're down five nothing. What's going through your head? Yeah, um, I think this was a situation that we've kind of seen ourselves in before. Um, obviously, going down four to one against Cuse last year, um, and this was kind of a test to our abilities to adapt on both ends of the field. Um, Notre Dame was doing a great job winning the draw and they were just shooting really, really well. Um, they were testing us defensively and I think it really challenged us to kind of see if we could adapt and adjust to what they were doing. Um, and I think once we finally got our ball on the offensive end and our attackers finally were starting to see the cage a little bit better, I think that was when we kind of started to kind of ground ourselves a little bit more. But um, kudos to Notre Dame. They came out really, really hard um, and they definitely tested us yesterday. 
Well, Taylor, this year you guys have basically clobbered everyone you've played until this game when you're down 5-zip. For you, I mean, you're a veteran goalie. I know the goalie is such a big role in setting the tone for the team's attitude. What was your message to the to the group when you're down 5-0 to say, hey, we still got this? Yeah, I think one of the things our team does really well is we continue to instill confidence in one another, whether it's you know going down 5-1 or being up 5-1. Um, we're always talking to each other and making sure that we're on the same page, we're communicating with one another. And I think that's a testament to our team culture and how much chemistry we've kind of developed over this past year and especially going into preseason. So our coaches also kind of help instill that confidence. Like I know for me, sometimes it's hard to go, you know, five goals against you in the first five minutes of the game and to kind of look to the sideline and have, you know, my coaches throwing me the thumbs up, like you're fine, you're fine. Um, that definitely helps. And I think especially for the goalie position when it can be so mentally challenging sometimes, especially in those situations to kind of have that support on the sideline and on the field is something that certainly helps. And I think that's what kind of carried us through that game yesterday. Taylor, you know, the other thing, too, is you spot Notre Dame, the, the five-goal lead. And if I would have whispered in your ear, hey, by the way, Jamie Ortega is not going to score today for the first time after 50 games. I, I never get a sense of panic with you. Your team is so deep and so calculated. It's almost like, okay, cool, that's the challenge. Now let's go get it done. I mean, this is a really special group that you're playing for. No, 100%. And I think yesterday was a testament to just how deep we are. I mean, Scotty Rosegrani really stepped up offensively. Um, she's so far had herself a stellar ACC tournament. Um, and I think to have her, you know, making the goals that she was making was kind of hyping us up on the defensive end. We even said going into halftime, I go, you know, you guys on the offensive end scoring goals, like you guys are hyping us up defensively. So um, if we can continue to kind of have those people show up when they when we need them to, which I think is certainly different from the team that we had last year. We obviously were super strong last year, um, but this year we've definitely had people step up in many different ways. And I think that's certainly what kind of helped carry us, especially through this tournament as a whole. So, Taylor, we see you're back in Chapel Hill now. You guys are hosting the ACC championship against Boston College this weekend. Bit of a unique format after a couple games in South Bend. You're back home in Chapel Hill. Uh, what's on the schedule this week as, as you get set in kind of a unique situation here? Yeah, we're actually still trying to figure out when we're going to be practicing because this is our finals week. So um, I know a couple of girls on our team while we were in South Bend had um, finals slotted for Friday and Saturday. So girls were taking exams after our practices on Friday night and after our game on Saturday. So, I mean, um, after our game on Friday and during the day on Saturday. So um, we're still trying to figure out when we're going to be practicing, but we know it's going to be um, obviously a nice balance between trying to, you know, let people study, get to their finals, and then obviously get the work done that we need to on the field. So it'll be interesting. I know it's going to be a tough week for a lot of people on our team. Um, I'm done on Tuesday until our first summer session. So, um, I'll at least have the week to kind of chill out a little bit more um, than I have in the past. But um, a lot of these girls are grinding away and it's pretty impressive to see them, you know, be able to take care of school and really just manage what being a student athlete is, especially going into a tournament season. So um, that's kind of what we're looking at so far. Taylor, so it's number one against number two, and that's not just in the league. I'm talking about in the country. You saw BC earlier. Uh, you obviously won the game, but you, you know what they're all about. It's a great offensive team. You're going to be challenged like nobody's business Saturday night. What went right in the first matchup, and what do you think you're going to see that may be different in the game Saturday? Yeah, I mean, they have uh, stellar offensive power. Obviously, Charlotte North, Jen Medjid, Bell Smith. So 
Um, it's definitely going to be a challenge for us. I think it's going to test us to be locked in mentally the entire time, um, which obviously BC is never going to go away. They're, they're going to continue to, you know, just do what BC offense does. Um, and obviously our offense is probably going to be challenged as well as they always are. So it'll be a test to see how well we can adapt and adjust as the game goes. Um, obviously there's going to be different swings like we saw in Notre Dame, right? People are going to go on runs and it's just going to be a test to see how well we can kind of handle that pressure um and obviously handle the environment because we obviously know they send us a nice group of fans down there so it's usually as much as we'll have home field advantage they definitely have a good set of fans out there that definitely make it challenging to hear for the most part i know playing in uh, bc stadium you couldn't hear anything so um it's definitely going to be very final four national championship-esque feel for sure Taylor, one of the enduring images of the sport recently is Charlotte North standing on the eight meter, winding it. What is it like to stand on the other side of that? Um, I mean, she's just an absolutely ridiculous shooter. Um, it's super difficult to, you know, stand in there eight meters away from her and try to see if you can read it coming off because she obviously shoots it so fast and she does really well at hiding it. Um, so literally kudos to any goalie that can make a save um off of her shot i know me it took one off the head (laughs) which was pretty funny um but yeah she's just an awesome shooter um it really is just kind of having to sit and find the ball as soon as she starts to wind up but she does a really good job of hiding it so um once again it's just going to be a testament to how well we can kind of adjust and um for me i'm gonna have a lot of work cut out for me this week in preparing so um we'll definitely see where it goes Taylor, there's so many good teams in this conference, uh, which obviously become national championship caliber teams. Did you get a sense that, you know what, seems fitting. It's going to be North Carolina and BC for not only the ACC title, but even the bigger picture going down the road. Yeah, no, for sure. It's, it's going to be something that's going to help prepare us and set us up for, obviously, NCAA play. Um, regardless of the outcome, we obviously will be able to see, you know, where we stand um, as a team more so so that we can make the adjustments that we need to going into, you know, following the ACC championship um, to hopefully get ourselves back to Memorial Day weekend. Um, And yeah, it's just going to be a dogfight. And we all know that um, our coaches know that my teammates know that Um, I know BC knows that. So going into it, it's definitely going to be who can mentally and physically prepare the best. Um, And we know both teams are going to show up. So it'll be really, it is going to be a really fun game. Taylor, the first time I hosted this show a couple weeks ago, Jenny Levy was on. She was talking about worker chickens. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) And Harley days. Worker chicken and Harley days. (laughs) uh, What's your stance on the worker chicken thing? What do you know about that? Um, It's definitely a wake you up kind of practice. Um, The worker chicken days are kind of, you know, fine tuning a lot of the things, waking our legs up, um, getting ourselves back out on the field, especially after a day off. Um, and then the Harley days, you're revving the engine, you're getting your butt moving, um, you're working hard. And it's usually one of those days you leave practice and you're like, wow, that was a really hard practice. Our, our RPEs out of 10 are usually around like six, seven or eight. Um, so those are, those are the days where you're kind of like, all right, I just put in a lot of work in one day and one, two hour span. So, um, that's the kind of work that then is going to carry into, um, the practices for the rest of the week, and then our games. Taylor, I would be remiss if I didn't have some fun with you about getting away from lacrosse for a second. Uh, in November, you go to NFT, sold out instantly. How much fun was that? That was awesome. Um, 
it was a little nerve wracking because obviously just they're so they're not new, but in the college atmosphere, especially with NIL, they've become a lot newer. So um, was a little nerve wracking because we had no idea how it was going to do. But it was awesome. The people that kind of showed up and supported me um, through it. We were actually in the middle of U.S. And by the time we were done with our first session, I was like, oh, my God, he's sold out already. Um, so that was awesome. Um, and it's just amazing to see just not even myself, but, you know, my other teammates and um, other college athletes around the country taking advantage of NIL. And I think it's been awesome to kind of see us be able to now have a little bit more of a connection with a lot of the fans that we have, um, whether that be on or off the field. So um, it was a really, really cool process. And I'm super grateful that I got the opportunity to do something like that. All right, now, I've been following you with all your art and stuff because my youngest daughter is an artiste. And in fact, I told her after we interviewed you the first time, and she goes, oh, that is so cool. So she was checking out everything. So I know your schedule's nuts. You talked about from an academic standpoint what you got to do this week with finals. We know what you're doing athletically, which is out of sight. You're doing some name, image, and likeness on the side. So how often can you mess around with what you really love to do from the art standpoint? Um, I'm hoping that I will be able to starting a little bit after ACC's um, just with school and practice and everything that's been going on, um, especially with life being much more in person and not so much locked away in your house. Um, I haven't had as much time as I would have liked to, um, but it's been it's been a good chaos, I would say. Like, it's definitely nice to kind of be back into the swing of normal things. Um, and that's not to say that I definitely haven't, like, done a couple of things. Um, still working on some artwork that hopefully I'll have time to do um, in between ACCs and hopefully maybe during NCAAs when we have a little bit more downtime and not so much school. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how much time I actually really do have. But I'm also going to be having to start packing away some of my stuff, which is kind of sad. But um, just preparing myself to move on and... Um, and yeah, so we'll, we'll see how much time I actually really do have for some art. Well, Taylor, before that, you did mention that you wrap up classes Tuesday. You got a big test, big final exam. What are we looking at? Uh, two final presentations, um, for my graduate program. So I'll have that. And then I have to take my capstone for my diploma, uh, first, first summer and second summer session. So that'll just be working on my final project, um, which I'll then have to pitch at the end of July. So um, still a lot of work ahead, but, um, it'll be nice, busy work for sure. Goes by fast though, doesn't it? So you probably look back and like, man, I remember just starting bug eyed, like, oh my gosh, what have I got myself into? And now what do you mean? I got to leave, man. I can stay here for another five or 10 years and life would be good. I know. I, I still can't believe I've been here for now six years. Um, but I wouldn't change the decision to stay. Um, I wouldn't have changed my decision to come to North Carolina. It's been awesome. I think a lot of people are like, wow, you're staying for a sixth year. I'm like, well, yeah, I wouldn't have stayed at a place I didn't like being. So um, clearly Chapel Hill has a special place in my heart and I'm um, definitely going to enjoy the few days that I have left. Well, you're terrific. So. Uh, well, listen, congratulations on all your success, uh, both on the field, off the court, in the classroom, everything else. Uh, it's cool, man. I, you're, you're, a fun, you're a fun follow to see where this thing goes. And we wish you the very best, not only for Saturday, but also the NCAAs. But you've had a great run, and uh, it's been a lot of fun riding along with you. Appreciate it. Thank you guys so much for having me, and I appreciate it. You got it. Taylor Marino, uh, kind of a snapshot of what a student athlete should be about, right? She's awesome. Love life. Dude. If I can go six years, man, I'll go six. Give me two more, I'll be here for eight. Six years in Chapel Hill? Sign me up for that. Yeah, By man. the way, Taylor Marino, two-time ACC tournament MVP. I was looking at that thinking, 
Who is the ACC tournament MVP this year? Oh, wait, we have another week. It's coming. Wait. Yeah, we'll find out Saturday. Some Ooh. matchup, though. One versus two. And that's not within seeds in your league. No, that's nationally. So, again, all that right here on ACC Network beginning Saturday night at 6 p.m. Even coverage afterwards. And there it is. 6 p.m. Get that all over you. Post game, we got you covered. All of it starts right here. Number one, North Carolina. Number two, Boston College. And if you're looking for something to do on a Saturday night, uh, grab some popcorn because these two can score. And, of course, Taylor's hoping she stops. Everything comes her way. But it's going to be some kind of match. Should be great. Really good. Best game in the sport. Literally can't ask for anything better than that. No, it's a national championship feel to it. Yeah. And again, BC looking to win their first ACC championship. North Carolina's basically own it. BC, the defending national champion. It's all good. All right, we come back. We put a bow on this bad boy. It's a quick show. Show number 619, by the way. That's your lucky number for the day. 619. We come back. We may even squeeze a car or two if you're in the mood. But we still have stuff to do, including celebrity sightings. We will explain when we return. Drew Carter filling in for Wes. It's Packer and Durham right here on ACC Network. The Packer and Durham Podcast. This is the Packer and Durham Podcast. Packer and Durham, final segment of the show. Goes by quick. When you're having fun. All right. First of all, always a pleasure. Yeah. Right. Mrs. P loves having you stop by. The West Durham Suite. Yeah, the West Durham Suite. Again, Anish Shroff, part of the Syracuse takeover this week, tomorrow, filling in for West. So you got something for us, do you not? I do, yep. So I was home in Minnesota this weekend for uh, game six between the Wolves and the Grizzlies. Can't quite recall what happened on the hardwood, but it was a fun experience for sure. Uh, just kidding. No, it wasn't. But m- most of it was fun until the last like five minutes or so of the game when the Wolves did what the Wolves do and blow it. So your boy is now in full-on twin season with a chance for the Wild to potentially bring home the Stanley Cup to Minnesota where it belongs in the state of hockey. But all that to say, Carl Anthony Towns chokes for the Timberwolves Friday night. Takes a ridiculous boneheaded three from about 27, 28 feet contested early in the shot clock when the game was on the line. Bricks it. Cat has been much maligned in this series, not just by Wolves fans, but by NBA pundits at large. And yours truly. I was pretty upset with Carl Anthony Towns Friday night. I was yelling at him from section 239, row Q, seats one through five. So fast forward about 10 hours. I'm at MSP, uh, second best airport in America behind RDU. And I'm going through security and I see, I hear someone behind me who gives his ID to the uh, TSA agent, you know, someone who says, all right, you're good to go. And the guy says, I don't need to see your ID. I know who you are. And the guy's like, big bellow laugh. Oh, you know who I am, huh? I'm like, who's behind me? Some celebrity? I turn around. It's Carl Town Sr. There you see, a nice, nice guy. Took a selfie. He had a car service about to pick him up, but he took a second to take a selfie with me. You see, I'm in my Vikings jacket there, fresh off the NFL draft. The Is that Ed Marinero's? Ed Marinero, he approves of that jacket. But I see Carl Towns Sr. Our producer, Drew Brooks, was surprised that I recognized him in a mask. Like, dog, this guy gets more airtime than his son almost (laughs) during the games. It was him versus Team Morant in the Wolves-Grizzlies series. I did not tell Carl Towns Sr. that um, I was upset with his son the previous night, to put it lightly. Well, you missed a golden opportunity. I should have. I'm sure he would have listened to me. But, you know, that, that Minnesota DNA kicked in, didn't it? It's like at the end of the day, as disappointing as I am with, with how that all went down, I'm still a Minnesota guy. Right. That's what it is. Minnesota nice. So he yeah. was on his way back to New Jersey, but 
Peck, we want to know who's the most random celebrity encounter you've had at an airport. Uh, Robin the Duke fan would be the answer to the question. Robin the Duke fan. I've never had the pleasure of meeting Robin. You know, those are the circles that I'm in. You know, Wes Durham, he's a first class. He likes to fly first class. I like to sit back with roosters and other poultry and stuff like that. So I I hang out with the the common folk. The worker chickens. I don't really hang out with any celebrities. Yeah. It's not really my thing. Uh, Mine would be Terrell Owens. That's good. On a a flight. I can't remember. Oh, it was actually from uh, Birmingham because he was in Tuscaloosa for an Alabama game going to Atlanta because I always connect through Atlanta. Shout out Delta. I walk up to him. I'm like, hey, are you Terrell Owens? He goes, it's Terrell. Oh. But yes, give me a T.O. <laughs> Before we get out of here, uh, viewer mail. I had a guy send me a tweet earlier today from Vintage Knowles. Not happy with me at all. Complete, you know what, for the second time this year. You totally yep. ignore defensive player of the year made by Josie. Uh, right? I said, et cetera, et cetera. Yep. So I wrote this guy back. I said, hey, listen, from me to you, Mark, here is the play. Here is the play. You want it, you get it. Looks like they're playing the San Francisco Giants, Oklahoma State. Josie Muffley. Wow. Oh. There you go. Cat-like so, reflex. So, Mark, there you go. You know what? You ask, we supply the info for you. There it is. Josie Muffley, heck of a defensive player. This ain't the first time she's made a play like that. And you, Pac, personally have said, we're not putting it on the show. Totally, I hate FSU. To, that's it, totally up yeah. to me on that one. So, Mark, that was yeah. just for you and your three followers. We appreciate it. we got to get out of here for Drew Carter, Mark Packer. Anish is in tomorrow. Thanks to the folks in Bristol. Catch you. Have a good day. Tune into Packer and Durham weekday mornings from 7 to 10 Eastern for the best conversations about everything from the ACC. Find it on the ACC Network, Sirius XM Channel 371 and streaming on the ESPN app.